Hello and welcome to Real History, the podcast where we examine various forms of fictional takes on history and discuss the historical content and decide how much of it is real or how much of it is just real. So with me today is my co-host and co-presenter... Gemma Pateman, hi! And I... Hello, I am your co-host and co-presenter, Hugh David. Uh, I am a history teacher by trade, amongst other things, with a degree in history, um, as well as a PGC. And you, Jenna, are... A finished undergraduate student! (laughs) You will very shortly be able to say you are a graduate. History graduate. And hopefully going on to do a master's as well. Yes, I'm so excited. So congratulations on, on the offer. I hope you get Thank it. You. I hope it all goes well. Um, so so uh, this is the, the last episode in the current season. If you are listening along, if you're not, don't worry. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> wherever you download us from, please like and subscribe. We And uh, you know, if you have any other things you'd like us to would uh, cover in future seasons please do uh, message us you can find us at uh, real history underscore uk on twitter and facebook and you can also message us uh, at 48 publishing on twitter um or at 48 publishing at gmail.com uh, yes please feel um, free to reach out i was going to say we are starting to plan season three yes. so if anyone has any suggestions this would be the time to get in to get yes. let us know absolutely right um, so today, Jenna, in honour of your success, you, uh, we let you choose the last one um, <laughs> the, the, for this season. Um, and I've chosen something completely random. <laughs> it's, no, it's actually perfectly appropriate, as you said to me. Well, the yes, week. But, <laughs> but if people see The Simpsons as the label... No, then... no, 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 it's not just going to be The Simpsons, I that's know, the whole point. I, I will label it properly. It will say <laughs> Season 7, Episode 16, Lisa the Iconoclast. And yes. if you have seen it, people will know why we're doing it. If you haven't seen it, like I hadn't, people will then discover why it is being covered by real history. So Jenna, yes. this is your choice, take it away. So, um, as we just said, it's the 16th episode of the 7th season, uh, which is is part of what is considered the golden age of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. 1996 uh, it aired. Yeah, so it's normally up to about season 10 is considered the golden age. Mm-hmm. Because originally, um, it was the, going back to the very start, The Simpsons was a uh, little sketch that would appear on the Tracy Ullman show back in... Um, the nineteen, the late nineteen eighties. I think it was actually nineteen. Just to remind people, yeah. So Tracy Ullman was very big over here. Um, she and uh, Lenny Henry and I cannot remember the third guy. All for all were a comedy troupe, um, and they did sketch shows together. And then she went off to the states, yeah, and did the Tracy Ullman show. And that was um, wasn't if memory serves, it was a mixture of chat and sketch. I think so, yeah. And then they um, had the little Simpsons shorts. Yeah, and now and uh, Matt Groening, who did the shorts. Now this is really interesting because I was a big fan of his cartoon because his cartoons were eventually licensed and reproduced in one of the British Sunday newspapers. He Life did is a, Hell, isn't it? Life is Hell, which yeah. used to, which had a rabbit with a damaged mm-hmm. ear and weird teeth and the eyes, and the rabbit would just be completely depressed every week. <laughs> It wasn't very, you know. It was really, uh, it was, it was pretty dark, but pretty grown up. But it mm. was, you know, just ah, oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. It was very much a kind of uh, ex- existentialist humor for adults kind of thing. Yeah. So when when you, when it all came out that he was going to do something for TV, it was going to be sketch-based, it was kind of his next step. Everyone mm. had big, had high hopes, and so uh, in Britain, the respon- initially the response to The Simpsons was actually a bit kind of, oh, okay, <laughs> really? That's what you're doing? Mm. Um, and I think it didn't hurt, it didn't help it in Britain, I think, at the time, at least with the media's response, that it was uh, a fox it became, you know, it was Fox yeah. who said, the fledgling Fox network, who were like, oh, we'll take that short and expand it into a full series. Yeah. Um, whereas Gronig saw the irony <laughs> in Fox wanting to do his yes. show. And also the other thing was, it was very similar to, um, it, it looked like, there was a live action show on all the time called Married with Children. Yeah, it's sort of based on that. 
Well, they kind of look the same. Yeah. You know, uh, oh, crikey, I've forgotten the name of the lead guy in, in Married with Children. He's wonderful. Ed, Ed, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill's slobby, slummy, uh, ooh, character, uh, father character, um, mm. was, is very Simpson-esque, but more, it was, it was more, the Simpsons cut out all the cut out a lot of the sex related stuff. It was it was kind of super. It, the clever thing about the Simpsons was it was still parodying the av- so called average American family, and yet it was doing it in a kind of way that was would pass for people who still thought cartoons were for kids. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, but they yes, have their more risque episodes now. In the day, oh, I think they were incredibly out there. I, 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 like, I um, yeah. Did you know Marge has done a Playboy shoot? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they 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 understood how to to get all these things, and I think I think I'm trying to remember now, but I seem to remember it was the third year where it really took off. Yes, and and it was also very important in the UK that it was on Sky as well. You know, the Fox mm. the the Fox element was important because I think without I think the, I think there are two things you can point to as really helping expand the influence of Sky as a paid service in Britain one yeah. is uh, Star Trek Next Generation taking that away from the BBC I think was mm. a huge huge step because the amount of people who were into um, Star Trek who just were like fine I'm paying now yeah, and you didn't and have up. internet services like we do now. So. Exactly. And then the second thing I think that blew up was The Simpsons, because the amount of mm. people who got the service and then whose kids started watching that instead of what was on the other terrestrial channels, I think that was huge at the yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, I still remember in the late 90s walking around and seeing so much Simpsons merchandise. Like, not in, like, just toy stores, but in, like, boots Mm-hmm. Uh, the pharmacy and stuff. I, me- I remember being upstairs in our local branch and seeing, like, Simpsons dolls and all the different merchandise that they did create. So it became a bit of a phenomenon. Yes, here, so. it, it, it definitely. It started off as, as this sketch and then blew up into an absolutely massive phenomenon. Mm. Um, I think it's become... <sighs> As you say, it had its it, it, it's regard widely regarded as having a um, golden a, age. A golden age in the nineties. I think you're right in saying it was a roughly. It, it could be roughly seen as season three to season ten, roughly. Mm. Um, there's one comment I always remember from Matt Groening when he was interviewed about it after it blew up, and he's been yeah. interviewed in Britain about it, and he said the irony. He said, when we started, he said, I didn't expect it to be massively successful because of the kind of people who get my humor. He said, and we're, we, he said, we get quite, I mean, today's language, he would say brutal, but he said it was something different at the time, you know, yeah. we get quite full on about it. You know, we say things that are just genuinely shocking in American standards mm. and, and we get away with it because we do it fast and we move on because it's a cartoon. So people think it's not that big a deal. And um, he said, but the problem is now, he says, we're so successful now that the only way we can be this successful is that if the people we're parodying are watching the show and don't get that we're parodying them. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what happened. (laughs) And that's exactly what it was. All these people watching it, and I don't know how many of them were actually getting the fact that they're the joke. Yeah, it's that kind of satire uh, paradox thing where... um... I heard it explained with um, the Harry Enfield character, Loads of Money. Yeah. And the fact of there were lots of people on the left that understood it as a the character as a critique of what was going on with the Thatcherite government mm. and the greed and the sudden wealth a lot of, um, especially builders, suddenly came into. Mm. Um, while people on the right were enjoying it because they were like, yes, loads of money. We're celebrating more money for every kind of thing. Mm. And so the character was successful on both sides of the political scale. Mm. It's just one side didn't understand that it was satire. They didn't yeah. understand it was taking the mick. So, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. Um, and I think, I think this is really appropriate with the episode you've picked. Mm. Um, so tell people why you picked this particular episode from this season. So 
Lisa the Iconoclast is basically uh, it's centered around Springfield bicentennial celebrations, which um, was going on in America around that time. Because mm-hmm. um, we've got to remember, America as the United States is pretty young. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It, it's like I think my house is older than some states. <laughs> oh God, you and I regularly walk through. Well, we, we you before lockdown, we regularly walked through or, or went past um things. Okay, so it's worth pointing out that the bicentennial itself was the mid seventies. Yes. But different um, so this towns is... would have later ones. But yes, this is Springfield's Bicentennial. Yeah. Uh, and one of the jokes is that you have the headmaster telling the school that it needs to be as successful as the previous ones. And one of the kids goes, who's clearly too young to know this, goes, yeah, it's amazing how that helped us forget about Watergate. <laughs> yeah, and he's shaving. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, that's that's the kind of humor I love The Simpsons for. Um <laughs> Um, so yeah, so uh, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, so um, as part of these celebrations, Lisa, because she's always the character that give, gets given these sort of episodes, uh, researches the town founder, uh, Jebediah Springfield, for an essay and discovers that he isn't how he was actually portrayed in a lot of the myths and the mm-hmm. TV show they were watching at the beginning, which mm-hmm. has some fantastic low-budget effects in mm. like the boom mic coming in and the pushing of the bison and stuff. Yeah. Um A class. <laughs> and um so she finds out that he's actually a murderous pirate that uh viewed the town with like contempt and actually didn't really like Springfield all that much and he was just like, ah whatever. Um and then she along with Homer actually tried to reveal the truth about him and face a lot of blowback from the town citizens. I mean, yes. The interesting thing about it is that normally Homer would be like, no, I'm not involved with this, but it's he sees the passion that she has for it yeah. and goes, well, if you're this passionate about it, obviously you're telling the truth, so I'm going to... It's one of those nice um, father-daughter episodes that you get with The Simpsons. I feel like they stopped having those. Yeah, they did. I feel like they, the Homer became and quite. I feel like later on he was quite antagonistic towards Lisa as the liberal yeah. voice in the household. Whereas here he goes, "I don't always agree with you, but I know you, I, I know you're usually right, so I'm going to get in on the ground floor." I love that line. I'm yes. going to get in on the ground floor on this one because he wants to be <laughs> he wants to be the town crier leading the parade. That's what yes. he really wants. Um, but he's willing, as you say, this is a time where he's willing to trust in his daughter. Now, she goes to the local history association. I bet you enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, that's not quite how our historical association no, is. No, but one of the things that made me laugh, so the the, 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 gar- the curator at the local history association, did you recognize his voice? He's Donald Sutherland. It is. He's the great Donald Sutherland. So <laughs> he manages this absolutely amazing blend of f- grandfatherly and utterly creepy. Yes. Well, like, all I can hear of him is, oh, God, what's the character's name from Hunger Games? Oh, yes, the president. Yeah. yeah. That's well, all I can is, hear now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, one of the best bits is he goes away because he's got Johnny Cakes in the oven. Yes, and she just Johnny during, Cakes. Yeah, that's the thing. He does, he does a Shining reference, and that's like so many children watching that have no clue what he's just done and how sinister that is that he does that to Lisa. But he yeah. comes around the side going, here's Johnny Cakes. I was like, no! <laughs> Get out of there, Lisa, now! But um, anyway, um, he is, but, but that, I, again, that's back then, that's when they did uh, cool voice casting yeah. because it was cool, not because it was stunt casting as a public. Yeah, because you know? now he's, they seem... They seem to get the celebrities in to do celebrities. Yes, exactly. Rather than doing characters. Yeah. Whereas there he is very much... uh, he, yeah, this is a proper character. A proper, it's a proper perform. It's a proper Sutherland performance. Yeah, with nuance and interesting ideas, and it's just really, really good. And I love. And he apparently ad libbed a couple of lines as well. Yes, so. I can believe that entirely. I can mm. absolutely believe that. Um, so, what does Lisa discover there? That uh, basically he leaves the cabinet open. What historian leaves the cabinet open around a child? I know, right? 
I know if he didn't do that, the plot wouldn't go ahead. No, I know, but, but it's still... also the, it's but it's also the fact that nobody comes to visit his association, and he's desperate for some approval and the and and to feel like he's not wasting his life, so he's trying to pass on the information and education. Yeah, because uh, he he's very much like, oh my god, I might have made a friend. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of that. It's also a little bit of that thing of you know he's obviously a failed teacher or an ex-teacher or something <laughs> he wants to kind of get it across. So uh, so there's that. Um, yeah. But you know, at the moment we're busy narrating the episode. Let's explain to people what she finds now, because this is why we're doing this episode here. So she plays with the flute that uh, apparently Jebediah used to play, and out of it she blows a piece of, well, painting. A piece of paint. turns out to be a piece of painting later. Yeah, yeah. which he's written a confession on, saying. I am actually this terrible pirate who has murdered many people and I tried to kill George Washington and um oh, yeah I love yeah. that I love the fact okay so 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 um yeah and and what does this lead Lisa to do uh to basically get well first she tries to hide it which is interesting mm. and then she writes her essay which she gets an F for because, uh, oh, what is the line? It made, it makes me laugh. Every so she gets an F time. because the teacher says you are a liberal PC thug, <laughs> forcing <laughs> your point of view on us. She says it's women like you who prevent women like us from progressing and finding a husband. <laughs> yes. And she's dead white male bashing. I'm just like, yeah, that was it. <laughs> You're white. Ma- <laughs> White male bashing by a liberal PC folk. <laughs> I mean, She's you eight. know, I know, I know, I know. But then you see, and this is why we're do- this is actually why we're doing this episode because yeah. actually, she th- this whole sequence is based on the experiences of the late um, uh, Professor Rising. Mm. Of, uh, of who was humanities professor at Florida University, so it was based on the experiences of Professor Rising, uh, who was humanities professor at University of Florida, as well as a successful, uh, as well as a doctor of English and a successful author, and and she wrote uh, well, just novels. an author according to the New York Times. Well, at the time, yeah, um, they she wrote <laughs> novels that were usually historically based. Her first big success was a Civil War based novel, uh, and she was invested. She was interested in writing a book about um, the twelfth. American president? Yes. Zachary Taylor. Yes. Um, who he... was a, a Whig and a, a, the, a slave owner, although he was the last president to be a slave owner. Yes. And was only in power for a very, very short time. 16 months. 16 months from 1849 to 1850. Mm-hmm. Um, and was mostly elected because he was a, a, a hero of the so-called Mexican War, amongst other things. And he was meant to be kind of a solid, aging presence um, who could sort of handle things, but obviously didn't last long. Um, mm. The thing well, is, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, the thing is, he was he was re- he was re- re- reputed to have died of gastroenteritis, mm-hmm. and Professor Rising was visiting friends who were related to Taylor and said that, generally speaking, the family never felt that that was a sufficient diagnosis. Mm. So she started doing research and came to the theory that it was possible that the president had been poisoned in some way, yes. possibly arsenic. She got permission from the supposed oldest living descendant at the time and also had the interest of local forensic anthropologist, Floridan forensic anthropologist and um, coroner, county mm. coroner as well, who was an experience, whose experience with archaeological exhumations because of the amount of building that went on. Yeah, and, and he seemed get... really excited by it. <laughs> yeah, according to the New York Times in 1991, when they were preparing to exhume the body, he's, he, they actually put the subheading, Coroner is thrilled, as a quote from him. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not surprised. He said it's the most interesting thing that had happened in 17 years in the county. Um, <laughs> but the point was that this was obviously scandalous to a certain degree. Mm. It always is when histor- when somebody proposes a new theory and the only way to have evidence is to exhume the body of a fav- of a relative celebrity, even if he is in the place by most historians in the bottom quarter of American press. Yes. <laughs> he- he's more forgettable than doing anything than being failed. It's like yeah. oh dude. <laughs> so um 
but nevertheless, uh, they did they did the exhumation, did the testing, and in the end, the theory was disproven. Mm. There was no evidence of arsenic, although it was it, it was inconclusive of other uh, other possibilities. So mm. it doesn't actually put the theory completely to bed; it just puts the arsenic theory to bed. Yeah, which is intriguing. At any rate, it was obviously considered, you know. I mean, as all these things are in America, it's, it was it was considered somewhat controversial at the time, hence yes. why it's getting articles in the papers that we can still find. And so The Simpsons takes that on, but it also takes on other revelations in the public, even if even if in typical Simpsons fashion, it dismisses them quickly with a single jokey line. Yeah. So uh, Sutherland's character, Hulbert, Hulbert, claims that the com- when when she reveals the confession to him. Uh, he says to Lisa that it has about as much credibility as the Howard Hughes will, the Hitler Diaries, and the Emancipation Retract. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you can't say that. But yeah, they two of they... those are real. Yeah, exactly. Guess <laughs> which um, one is not. <laughs> BBC have a site on The Simpsons. Do they? Looking at the background and inflations. Yeah, they stopped updating it in 2005. It has oh, a section. A it has a section for this episode called Notes for the Uneducated. <laughs> William Dawes and Samuel Otis, mentioned by Hurlbut, are such minor revolutionaries that we can't find any trace of them. <laughs> which I thought was bad. Which again was the joke. He says, "Oh, he, yeah. you know, the the founder of Springfield was is not as well known as, but she could have been." Um, Howard Hughes will and Hitler diaries are genuine forgeries, but there's never been a retraction of the Emancipation Proclamation. No. Um, Although President Lincoln wrote a letter discussing the fact that there were people who would like would have liked it there to be a retraction of it. Yes. Um, <sighs> yes. There's people now that would as well. Yeah. Um, there appear to be 18th century cameos of Marge and Homer on the wall of the museum. Yep. And there's uh, Otto, the uh, bus driver, driving a cart. Yes. I mean, there's lots of stuff happening. There's, there's a couple of um, dream sequences. Yes. Homer has one. Lisa has one. Uh, in Homer, in Homer's one, the, the George Washington wants a flag with Lucky Charms on him. Yes. Um, in 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 Lisa's, George Washington turns up as a ghost fighting the ghost. Of... Don't leave me, George Washington. <laughs> the, and, and she wakes up saying that, and as and, and, and um, Bart is going past, and he says, "Man, even your dreams are square." <laughs> Um, so, but the point of all of this is that Lisa take, is brave enough to take on the town when she believes that she has found evidence that mm. upturns the status quo, the historical status quo, and what everyone believes. The, so, so let—that's why we're doing this episode because she then tries to. She does further research, finds other books that support the evidence of the confession, mm. quotes them gets the essay thrown in her face. She and her father then try to tell everybody in the town and they get thrown out of places, banned from places. People For three in- months. Yes. <laughs> but, then, but then increasingly, the authorities start to... You know, the, the mayor, the, the police are not happy with the fact no. that she's undermining the myth on which the entire town is built. Yeah. Um, and at the end, when she and Hulbert, because she eventually convinces Hulbert, when the pair of them go to interrupt the, um, pro- the, the, the the bicentennial procession at the end, to and she stands at the mic and she's about to reveal everything, you actually cut to a SWAT sniper and the cop, and the sniper goes, I think I can get her from here. Which is horrible, absolutely horrible. Um, but apparently, the poster that um, she makes—that's uh, already foreshadowed early in the episode because she yeah. makes a poster um, that makes of 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 the Springfield founder that makes um, him look like it looks like the Lee Harvey Oswald poster uh, that he made about JFK the year before the assassination. Yeah, so it's like, oh, which is just like, oh god, okay. <laughs> So, so the, there's all these lovely historic. So, here's the thing: if you're a historian, watching The Simpsons is often immense fun, yes, because of this sort of stuff. Well, technically, uh, it's also now a primary source. Many of the earlier seasons are over twenty years old, which we count as a yeah. But that's only as a primary source about life and about things in the nineties. It's I not know, a primary source it's, about Jebediah it's, Springfield. It's still cool. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, you know, I know, but we're 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 not here to analyse um, what I the know. Simpsons tells us about nineties animation. Although that would be fun to do another day. What mm. we're here to talk about is the actual content of the episode, because that's why you wanted to do it. Because yes. in, a, in, in, I know we try not to date these episodes too much, but we're recording this. We are going to date this one for because of the episode we're, dis- we're discussing. Um, yes. So we're recording this uh, as Britain reaches the end of its uh, first wave lockdown in COVID, uh, the COVID epidemic of twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and. And it, uh, there has been massive controversy over people breaking the lockdown to protest um, the treatment of people of colour by the authorities. And there has been uh, the tearing down and destruction of various statues of people who were slave owners in Britain as well as in the States. And there is a yes. massive debate now going on at levels that it should have been going on at 40 years ago or yes. more about why we even have these statues and what they celebrate and what is even the point. And you have you have one of the great arguments being put forth mostly by the right wing but by others too is yeah. the idea that without statues how will people learn and it's like uh-huh. well this is well Germany doesn't allow statues of Hitler apparently we seem to know about him a bit yes um, and I did so... see someone trying to compare tearing down the statues to compare um, tearing down the concentration camps and it's like you talk about missing the point spectacularly. Yeah, it's like like literally they're 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 missing the point by about the the length of of the you know the distance that it took to, between Britain and Germany. <laughs> yes, and this I was mean, an MP who said it. I can't remember. Well, of course which it was. One. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, this episode is almost feels like it was made now. Yeah, because it's much. about. You know the the discussion. The the it's actually a. I would use this in teaching. This is a really good dis- a look at what the process of how history can change and yes. why history is never fixed. And it, how the representation of certain historical figures is changed by it can be by one little discovery. Well, new evidence. Yeah, Br- brand this new evidence the... comes to light, and it shows. It makes us go, okay, let's change what we thought. There is this kind of theory out there by people who don't aren't practical historians to a certain degree mm. that we in history are not possessed of the intellectual rigour of science. That science is experimental, and therefore, and a theory you te- you you create a theory, you find the evidence, and you test it. Yes. And then if it fails, you don't. Well, guess what, folks? That's actually how we do things in history, mm-hmm. right? The fact is, the fact that the evidence may be written rather than archaeological. One of the first things, certainly, I learned at school with with rigorous historic history teachers was the need to take every source on it uh you know within its context to mm-hmm. examine everything you know uh, yes we're different from archaeologists archaeologists have the advantage of science and 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 they can pull up re- actual physical evidence but the the thing is that we and they we all work together yes um we are the ones we work with when we work with primary sources and secondary sources we're working with written and, and drawn and photographed evidence. Yeah. So it's mediatized to a certain degree. There's a channel, there's a, an interpretation. And part of our job is to assess the value of that interpretation. And so mm-hmm. when Lisa discovers the confession, it upends everything. But she, she usefully, she doesn't simply um, believe it. She goes away and looks for more evidence to back it up. Yes. Which is how we do things in history. Mm-hmm. You don't just go, here is one discovery that changes everything. You go, here's one discovery that could change everything. Now, can we find any any other evidence out there to address it? Can we verify it? Yes, absolutely. And that's what we do. Yeah. And um... if we can't verify it, then we have to simply leave it, as, it, as in science, as an alternative theory. Yeah, Um I mean, with a lot of primary sources, especially like diaries and letters and that sort of thing, we've also got to remember the writer's biases to what they're writing. Like, what are they actually leaving out as well as what are they talking about? Yes. And I feel like people feel that history is facts. Like, <laughs> this this event happened on this day. And it's like, that is a small part of our job. 
Yeah, absolutely right. It's absolutely right. Like when discussing um, Churchill with certain family members, and say because we were discussing the statue and the fact that it got um, vandalized during Which one it... of the yeah. Black Lives Matter protests. Although, of course, it gets vandalized every single yes, year. Yes, it does because it is it's a focal point. That's what happens to it. Yeah, it, I'm always it's... amazed that these people are like, oh, these terrible protesters. I'm like, well, you didn't say that when it gets vandalised during football, right? You don't no. say that when it gets vandalised during celebrations at New Year. It gets vandalised every single year, guys. Get your head Multiple times a year. Yeah, it's like, this is what happens. Why aren't you complaining about it the other times? Ugh. Yeah, and it was just a bit of graffiti that said, under Churchill, and that someone put, was a racist. Which took, well... what, probably half an hour to clean off? Yeah. Um I also okay, so this is where it gets interesting. As a historian, a statement like that, which is not a million miles away from Lisa's approach to trying to shock everyone into believing that Jebediah Springfield is mm. a problematic case, you know. Uh literally going, He's a pirate, you know. Yes. Um the I I I think I think the problem with and this is the problem when you're trying to do a half-hour um, animated comedy. Yes, <laughs> um, they can't get. It. They can't have a proper intellectual discover, uh, discussion over these points. <laughs> they do their best, though. Um, they did a very good job for 23 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think um, I think the so when so to take that actual statement. Churchill is a racist. Well, this is an interesting question. Okay, I'm not mm. as somebody who is South African Indian. <laughs> I yes. have a number of reasons not to particularly be fond of him as a historical personage. Mm. However, however, I think it's really important to note that some of his experiences in the British Empire very early on in his career made him believe that Islam was actually a better a religion worth converting to. <laughs> <laughs> Rather I didn't than that. That's yeah, he 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 wrote quite extensively when he was young on on the value of Islam, and particularly in how it encouraged the men to be men. <laughs> you know, it was it was good for the character, <laughs> and 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 so he and, and he and the you know his employers and friends had to implore him to stop thinking of to you know to not talk about this any further <laughs> because of course <laughs> they didn't need anybody in the government going yes islam's a good idea do you, do you, what was it you said you wanted independence afghans <laughs> yeah um so so the, you know he had obviously that was when he was younger mm. but i think it's interesting to note that that is a nuance that is missing from current debate mm. and so when you are lacking that level of nuance, you know, when the debate is just, he's a racist, he's not a racist, he's a racist, he's not a racist, it's like, oh, for goodness sake, can we just, you know, figure it out, guys. The the, the, the man, you know, it's like when I was teaching him a few years ago in English, in, in I was using his speeches in English uh, mm. class, and I, I grabbed one of his speeches from after the war, because everyone always uses the one during the war, and yeah. I grabbed the speech that he used at a university on tour, because obviously, like, a lot of people, British Prime Ministers, he went on the lecture circuit when he lost. Yes. Uh, and he gave a... He was was that the gr- first time or the second time? <laughs> I think this one's from the first time. Um, but it's that whole thing Not where that he spent... I know much about this because I haven't written a whole essay about it. <laughs> no, exactly. But you know this whole thing whereby he... Um, most people talk about his lectures about his, his interpretation of the coming Cold War. Mm-hmm. But what people don't always talk about, although they talk about it a little bit more now, was his his uh, his lectures talking about the need for the what would eventually be the EU. Yeah. So again, you know, racist. Okay, well, maybe to certain races, certain parts of the empire, but also somebody who saw that value to there being a united Europe. Yes. The point. One of the things that makes. So this brings us to what the episode is actually about in the end, and this is my problem with The Simpsons overall, um, and why I think Gronig was right that in the end, the only reason it is as huge as it is is because the people it's taking the mick out of don't realise they're the target. Mm. Um, 
Lisa goes through all the hard work of proving the that she the evidence she has discovered about the historical figure behind the founding of the town is is accurate or at least reasonably accurate yes and uh, but it's it's in a very kind of national treasure night at the museum kind of way yeah <laughs> oh look this bit of this bit of script fits the missing part of the painting <laughs> and this kind of thing and you're kind of like okay yeah. um so on that basis um i do kind of wonder it's kind of i so i was wondering how the episode was going to end because i didn't mm. and i don't remember seeing this the first time around so you know for me it was hell new and yeah. i was really surprised that they went with the kind of traditional american happy ending even if they then went and undercut it afterwards yeah because their happy ending is she gets up in front of everybody to tell them it's this is not this is terrible, and then she looks at everyone's naive, hopeful faces and goes, "Fine, I'll stick to the myth." Yeah. And she gets she her argument, and I hate this argument, is the myth has done more good. It's inspired people to be better. Yeah. And you're looking at the very people who taught, who persecuted her, and you're thinking, "How is that better?" Mm. These people, and the and to make the point clear, the moment she steps off the stage, the sniper misses her. <laughs> you know, he took the shot anyway. Yes, which is he said the right the right thing in abbreviated commas, and he was still going to murder an eight year old girl at, at their celebrations. You know, wouldn't that put a dampener on their celebrations? This little girl was murdered in front of everyone. You know, and then her, and then and then just to to reinforce the point, Homer then goes and, uh, you know, smacks Ned Sanders out of the uh the march and the 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 the, the, the what's the position where the town cry had yeah and takes over and starts running it and we then somebody note that says he lost that position uh after they um took Jebediah Springfield's body out of the ground. Yeah, and 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 he um, he, and then and then when uh, somebody in the in the in the crowd says to the police, "That man's just assaulted someone, assaulted the town crowd, do something," and the police go, "Nah, that's okay. <laughs> I like him more. <laughs> he doesn't like like they get the uh, that that that's the Simpsons are smart enough to satirize yeah. the very thing that they um are doing at the end and that's great and i get that and that's fine but the problem is most people don't see it like that no i think a lot of people watch the episode and go you know lisa did the right thing and all that other stuff's just funny they don't Mm. make the connection between the two um it's it's one of the reasons i feel like whenever i've watched it with my family um back in the 90s so i'd watch it with my brother and my dad even at a young age, I was laughing at it in a slightly different way from them. Mm-hmm. And so if we sat down now to watch the same episode, I feel that there would be much more points that I'd be laughing at. Mm. While they'd be like, why is that funny? Um, I don't understand. And that's not to say they're dumb. Or, or anything like that. It's just they're diff- they have a different point of view from what I do. It's like how some people don't find "Have I Got News for You" funny mm. when I find it hilarious. If that makes sense, I. But then this is this is where we get into some interesting territory. So, so there's an argument going on right now online about the idea of whether or not art, artist, artistic product, I should say, because these are products as well, mm. they're commercial products. Um, they're not getting made just because they're art. Um, uh, they're getting made. To, they're getting made to make money. Mm. Um, there is this the idea that art should somehow be above politics, right? But also yeah. that it should be above education, mm. right? There is this idea that if art shows you something horrible, it is not an endorsement of it, right? Which yeah. I. I think is highly problematic an argument because mm. 
if you're not endorsing it, then why are you showing it in so much detail? Why are you why put the spotlight on it the moment you put a camera or you write a, or you put pen to paper and you choose to go into great great detail about something e g mm. a, a a sexual assault or uh, you know a scene in which somebody is racially abused right mm. and you write it from a point of view of the abuser yeah then why are you doing that what 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 value does it have to highlight that to the reader Mm. or the or the viewer right and i say this as a lover of horror films and someone who grew up on all kinds of stuff that i still some of it which i still enjoy some of which i don't anymore mm. um i think actually that we need anybody who believes that that these things have no effect on the audience and therefore the creators should not consider when they're creating this stuff any possible effect on the audience, I think, is willfully ignoring evidence. Mm. Okay? So you take the 70s in Britain. We have all these... We have racism writ large. (laughs) Sorry? Up the wazoo. Yeah, in sitcoms. Yeah. And it is seen as not only normal, it is seen as something that you, you know... The audience laugh with certain characters who are being blatantly racist. Now, yeah. all around me right now are people your age and younger saying to me on Facebook, oh, but that was the time. And I'm like, you know, people didn't know it was wrong. And I'm like, I was there. I was a child at school and the kids who beat the living crap out of me, some of them used to quote these characters. Mm. They used to quote these characters because it, it, it provided approval. You know, yeah. there was approval. Oh, look, this, this the, the hundreds of thousands of people who watch this show every week. Well, in that, the, those days, the millions yeah. of people who watch the show every week. It means, and the fact that this character says it and everyone laughs means if I beat you up as a packy, it's funny. Mm. So, and that is that isn't just anecdotal. We have much wider evidence. But again, as a historian, you know, we're not just we're not just going to use my one person's experience in yeah. one part of Britain. For that time, we're going to talk. You know, we know this is writ large. This is there is ample evidence to gathered since then, and that didn't stop. Now, when, but when you then start that we to to say that not that that showing things doesn't have an effect is also to then argue that representation doesn't matter when it's been proven many, many times that it does. Um... Exactly. You can't say that representation matters, but then also say we don't, you know, it, we don't need to think about these things. I actually think it's, I actually think there's something really, really important here, ideologically, mentally, in belief. I think actually we're discussing something very, very important here, which mm. is characterized by Lisa's idea that the myth is valuable. Yeah. I think that is itself a myth i think that is the heart of the american fallacy yeah right because america is built on myths and so Mm. and movie making and tv making is myth making Mm. you turn what is ordinary into something grand by putting a camera on it and lighting it and making it up and costuming it yeah and in so doing you raise it above the average conversation and you highlight it, it becomes a statue on a pedestal. Yeah. I mean, look at the traditional Thanksgiving. That's putting yes. something that a meal shared between um, the natives and basically invaders up on a pedestal every single year. But those invaders would go on to commit genocide of mm. millions of people. And then mm. people then try and hide the fact that it was a genocide. Mm. Mm. And people try to argue that it wasn't of, no, most of them died of disease. And it's mm. like, no, it's a lot. The people who died from disease, some of them were infected on purpose. There is such thing as a smallpox blanket. Mm. Mm. And it's mm. just. Ugh. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think people I think... use these myths to try and hide the actual history and that's what we see a lot of going on at the moment with the people arguing against me and you because uh, i guess we've both come into conversations about it 
the fact of saying we these people say we want to protect our history and then we come along and go with a very nuanced and explaining look this is our part of our history this is what is current belief in the historical community and they kind of go oh not that history that makes that makes me feel uncomfortable that makes me feel bad that when (laughs) history isn't there to make you feel comfortable it's there to make sure we learn from our mistakes and as British people especially as a white British person myself my nation the place I was born has made many many mistakes Mm. and has killed millions upon millions of people and has damaged so many different nations we have killed cultures outright there are languages that don't exist anymore because of us even in our own little islands Cornish Mm. which um for listeners that don't know I'm called Cornish Mm. I don't know that language at all Mm. but because that was almost eradicated by the British trying to get going nope everyone has to speak English Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and there are whole parts of Britain where we no longer have the crops that were no. traditional and the food that was traditional to those areas because yeah. that was all wiped out in Victorian times via the rise of big business, agribusiness, and the uh, the, uh, the you know the way that the uh, the increasing transportation from mm. from roads to to canals to railways you know changed the abil- the need or the ability to move around these things around instead of just having to walk from your field to your windmill locally so you yeah. had to work with local wheat or local grasses sorry um and so in one part of britain you'd have a rye bread and in another part of britain you'd have a barley bread mm. you know all of a sudden you get these guys in one area saying well pff, we've got the money let's we're going to take over we're going to send wheat everywhere because we've got yeah. the tra- we'll stick it on the train and off we go and suddenly oh, we stick the, the bread later on you transport the bread and off we go and all of a sudden you have homogenization yeah a so, loss of local culture britain does not realize sometimes depends where you go in britain but there mm. are part britain does not always realize the degree to which britain itself is internally colonized yeah i mean the irish know this the welsh know this yes. the scottish know this the the york in yorkshire they know this <laughs> well in gloucestershire we've managed to keep cheese rolling they've tried to stop it but yeah 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 because yeah. well, they're like yeah. health and safety concerns well, to be fair, given given just how dangerous it is, <laughs> I, I, I mean, unless you guys, what's your argument for keeping it? Social Darwinism. <laughs> it's if tradition. You, <laughs> yeah, if 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 you if you if you are or if you are of the intellectual level to consider throwing yourself headfirst down a near ninety degree slope Everyone after a wheel of cheese is is somehow masculine. Um, the interesting. By the thing, way, have we have? Are there women runners in the yeah, cheese rolling? There's women. Okay, so at least that's one there's gender. Also, but there's also but, um, mixed gender, and there's children's races. You send children down that. That's no, cr- no, we send children up. That's still dangerous. <laughs> and, and no offense, but at least when you sent them down the mines, you paid them. <laughs> what they did because um covid cancelled it this year no got, do i want to know they they um got a cheese and just rolled it down the hill so it still happened this year well that's fine At i'm okay with that <laughs> i'm actually okay with that if you want to like no. like that makes sense to me like you know that is a way of maintaining the tradition yeah in fact this is the 21st century why don't you send the throw the cheese down and send drones after it <laughs> You know, let's move into let, let let let's update this. Let's have all the kids get involved by seeing who can get the drone to get closest to it as they go. <laughs> it goes rolling down. Whoever gets the closest footage. I will say there are many women and gay men who do it who are mostly doing it for being caught at the b- bottom by the uh, Gloucestershire rugby team. Oh my god! <laughs> so... You are really you are you are revealing layers and layers of <laughs> fetishism within this that I did not know existed. <laughs> I still um, remember your face when I first told you about it because me and um, Hugh's partner also comes from Gloucestershire. So oh yeah, we... Kim 
brought it up one. It's brought it up more. Yeah, because I was like, oh, did you hear how many injuries happened this year? Oh, it was only twenty-seven, and you were just looking at us like, what on earth are you on about? Here's the thing, though, right? Here is the thing. Um, okay, so let, let, let's start to bring this episode to a close. I. Oh, I won't talk about cheese rolling more. People can go and read your article on Bugazilla. That's true. You've done a, a very, very good article there on <laughs> cheese rolling. If people want to know more about the, the Gloucestershire tradition of cheese rolling uh, and the way, it, and, and in, in other words, you know, frankly, cheese rolling divert, deserves its own section in the Darwin Awards, but um, in my view. But anyway, that's my view, not yours. Um, uh, moving, so, so I think here's the thing, right? When we mm. when we look at um, this episode we picked, <laughs> these are the iconoclasts, right? It wow, we took a symptoms. journey this episode. <laughs> that that was the point, wasn't it? That yes. was the point. We're not here normally in our episodes. We give a scores to the historical content, mm. and we're not. We can't really do that here. Um, I, yeah, this episode, the Simpsons episode itself is not about history, but it does need you to know some history to get the best out of it in terms yes. of the jokes. So I would and to still... understand what it is actually trying to tell you. Yeah, and now it stands, as you say, as a primary source in that it is a satirical representation of the Zachary of the President Taylor exhumation. Yeah, and I do and actually... so in that oh, sorry, when we were talking about the American myth and the ending of the episode, I do wonder if it was made and released today, how it would have been, how it would have changed. So considering the way it has changed as well, mm. you know? Because I, I wonder if you had the, exactly the same episode, they were just changing the ending. I c- could see them making a point of not hiding it because mm. the current discussion is about more revealing of our history. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, look at all the documentaries that uh, the BBC have put on just because of the discussions. They've put uh, Black and British. They've put uh, the, I think, tonight, uh, which is the 2nd of July, they're putting mm-hmm. on the about uh, British forgotten slaveholders mm-hmm. where there is a database that you can go search your own family and find out if your family owned slaves. Mm-hmm. And... That is all. They're not putting these episodes on because it's. They're putting it on because of the national conversation at the moment, yes. which is great, and they are doing their job in educating the public. Yeah. So, if the public chooses not to watch, that's another matter. But still. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So I think. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think that's that. No, I think that's absolutely relevant. I think this is why we're doing it. But I think it's important to address the. So I mean, what I was going to say is, I I would give it thirty percent, thirty five percent, yeah, by our usual scoring system, yeah, I, uh, which I is obviously completely made up and in our heads, but that's okay. Yes. <laughs> um, because I think that there's enough elements of satire, satirical elements about actual history that I think it's worth recognizing that you know there is a, a, a the show itself is playing with history and therefore that's something i think we can you know you need to know that history to reward it it's it's, it's not that the show is telling you the history which is which is what it should you know which is what we we're usually looking for that normally yeah. in this show in this podcast that's what we're doing we're looking to see if you can if there is anything accurate or interesting or historically relevant to learn about the history that is being portrayed in a piece of fiction I think it embeggins uh, the historical debate. You, to quote the show. <laughs> um, I think it's a good representation of the debate. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a really... Like I said, I would I would use this with the O7s to say this is a you know, historical method. Yeah. But I would also get them to debate the whole issue of whether or not Lisa was right at the end to say, well, the myth is more important. Mm. Because I think that's exactly what the real world situation we're in at the moment yeah. is dealing with. That's exactly what it's addressing. Yeah. And it's amazing how older Simpsons episodes just keep feeling so timely. Yes. It's like uh, another episode that I love is Homophobia, which is uh, the one where, oh God, what's his name? Vincent Price comes on 
and plays a gay man. And it's not until like later in the episode that it's revealed to Homer that that gentleman is homosexual and he has the complete freak out and then starts trying to take part to manly things to make sure he mm. isn't gay. And you can see all the debates still coming up today and you're thinking, this episode is over 20 years old. How have we not moved on from these debates? It's... Mm. It just seems to be going round and round and round, which is a shame. And in a way, we have moved on. We're like the fact that if we do have gay marriage, we are having more equal rights. We are actually having more open conversation. But we need to actually do more. So, yeah. So, because I think that's the most frustrating thing of being a historian living through these times is the amount that we're going, hey... Can you mm. listen to us, please? This is our job. Mm-hmm. It's like the fact that I got accused of not knowing my history because I said um, the Second World War wasn't just won by Churchill. It was won by the Allies, which was many different nations, many different men, women. It's uh, it's like we're looking at more of the nuance of it wasn't just Churchill. He played a role, mm. but and I, I'm okay with there being a statue of him but we don't say he won the war it, the allies won the war and at the uh, end of the day, well we historians don't say that other people the, to the general public yeah I, I was using the we as historians kind of thing I, I yes. yeah it's just and these are the conversations that we're having to deal with every day at the moment um, well, you know, it's because, so a friend of mine once said something, uh, a professional friend of mine once said something um, which I wanted to take issue with and then realised he has a point. He said, and he said it off the cuff as well hmm. uh, to me, he said, well, I was complaining about when I returned to teaching after being in the private sector for 10 years, hmm. uh, well, more than 10 years, actually, and um 15 at that point and saying all these things that they'd borrowed from business which were bad ideas instead yeah. of the good ones and then all the stuff that they should have fixed it, that when I was a teacher originally that they hadn't even they'd only made worse mm. and um, he said well of course he says education is always 10 years behind what's actually happening mm. and I was like but it shouldn't be I was like that, that's exactly the problem you're preparing the next, you're preparing future generations to come out into the workplace and you're doing it in outmoded models of thinking and information and paradigms. Mm. And it's just like, you know, we need to be moving quicker. Yes. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the per- we're, you're seeing the evidence of that now. I mean, there's this massive discussion online saying, oh, if only people are taught certain history at school. Well, guess what? We teach it. Yes. We teach it. It's in the damn syllabus. And you, if you're in a school that has any kind of decent historians in the history department, it gets taught. Nobody is recognizing two really crucial things. One is, first of all, are, are the students listening or paying attention? Mm. Because ultimately, when you're a teenager and you're in a history class, sorry, most of you aren't paying attention. I can tell you that for a fact. Unless you're like me going, oh, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Most of them are just like, how do I get through to the next lesson so I can get out of this? Yeah. Uh, Most of them, hormones are starting to hit if you're in a a mixed gender school. (laughs) Yes. You know, most most kids, oh, I didn't get taught that at school when they were adults. No, actually, you are. Sorry? Hormones are starting to hit in the single gender school too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. No, 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 that's true. Just generally, they're hitting in teenage schools. Yeah. Um, but no, but my point. But the thing is that what, when adults often say, "Oh, I wasn't taught at school," I will, I will bet you, I will bet you the the, the jeopardized confession that they they actually are not remembering the fact that they paid no attention mm. to the history teacher at the time. So I would, you can't trust adults saying, "Oh, I didn't learn this at school." You probably got taught it and just ignored it because you were too busy waiting for a note from your crush. Second <laughs> even, point even is. Th- me as a historian I took history I finished history in year nine I can't remember everything I was taught and I'm passionate about history most of the stuff I remember is the fact of being taught about Romans and Tudors mostly because that was what was taught over and over and over again right but there were other subjects in between that I just can't remember what they were yeah 
And this brings me to the other point, which is that all these people saying, oh, we, you know, teaching of, of black history in Britain should be mandatory, British Empire should be mandatory. It's already there. What, what you can't dictate, because do you really want to dictate this from the top, is mm. how the teacher locally teaches it. Yeah. Because there is there has to be some freedom because every teacher is a different specialty a different skill set you also need to be able to adjust it for different regions that you're teaching in yeah that can go both ways okay yeah. uh, the, i i can i know of a school that is in a, a small in a, in a village community where they have the local population does have a small number of uh, Muslim Asians in it, mm. right? So that's a key issue in the school, and yet the religious studies department at GCSE has decided it's going to do Christianity and Judaism. Ugh. They do do Islam at year eight in yeah. detail, but when it comes to the GCSE, they do Judaism. I don't think that's a bad thing, given what's happening in this country, mm. but given the needs of the local community, I wonder if that was the best thing. Okay? Yeah. And um, and so when it comes to um, history, you know, I have been in different departments over the years and there have been different approaches to how you teach empire and slavery. And there have been schools where they do the there is an entire unit you can do on slavery. Mm. And then there are schools where they don't do that as a unit, but they keep it as part of the empire section because we have to do empire. It's mandatory. Mm. It's just how you do it. Some people, some schools will focus on on on, will not focus on the level of historical debate that needs to be engaged, and others will. But the point is that all of these people online saying it needs to be taught either don't have kids or aren't, or their kids aren't paying attention, or they're not even going to their parents' evenings because if they bothered to do that, they would know we teach this all the time and have had to do for twenty five years. Yeah, and I just it drives me up the flipping wall. So anyway, enough <laughs> said. Um, Maybe there needs to be more adult history classes. But this is the problem. <laughs> I think you're right. But the thing is, most adults will go on the last film or television show they watch, which is why we're doing this podcast. Yes, true. Um, and I, and then you also have the friends, the 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 friends. You also have the the adults who, like you said earlier, think think that all it is is a mass of facts. So as long as they learn facts and can cite them. They think they yeah. know history. 1066, 1914. Like... Again, I know somebody who when I met who said who seemed to be very knowledgeable of the history and I said, Oh, you should do something, you know, you should have studied it and they're like, Oh no, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, and and so when I mentioned the idea of I said, Well this is, as long as you can handle interpretation and his response was, Well no, that's exactly the problem. I don't, I don't want to do all that. I See, like... I get people saying to me the fact of I have memory problems, it's part of my profile. And the fact that I do history and don't, and they're like, well, how do you remember all those facts? And it's like, I don't. <laughs> I I interpret, I do other things with the information. That's, mm. yeah, it's, I think the one most fi- important things about us doing this podcast is the discussion around history itself. And mm. getting over that stuff like the the Simpsons is important in the historical discussion because it has allowed other people to possibly go, oh, that is an issue, maybe, kind of thing, and mm. not realise it. And, I mean... With every uh, equality wave, so feminism, uh, LGBT rights, uh, the civil rights in America, has brought more history into history, if that makes sense. As in, we're actually starting to hear other people's stories. Um, Like, there was a discussion at my university in the fact of sometimes... um, the classes that we have, we will have one session that happens to be about women and one session that happens to be about uh, people of colour and mm. where we were saying maybe that should be more mixed in rather than here's the specialist lessons. So, mm, yeah. And it's that kind of argument again back with history months of we need the history months to highlight these issues 
But at the same time, these issues should be mixed in with the regular teaching of history. So it's a time for us to celebrate it and go, look, there is other stories here and other other than the big, <laughs> what is it, white men bashing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Mm. On that note, so we're gonna are we agreeing on thirty five percent by our scoring system? Yeah, and I think, but for historians, I think it's a maybe a a definite watch, especially if you have something like Disney Plus. I think it it's interesting enough, and it's twenty three minutes. So even if you don't enjoy it, you haven't wasted that much time. Yeah. So. Agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very well written. It's as you say, it's a good example of nineties television and animation in itself. But yeah. it, and but it's also an interesting piece of satire in relation to both history and the historical proceedings of the time, given yes. the the Taylor exhumation. So, mm-hmm. on that note, and it's folks, very funny. Yes, it is very funny, especially when you know your history. <laughs> so that is the final episode of season two. Uh, thank you for listening to our, all our episodes and our seasons. And if you haven't listened to our other episodes, if this is your first, then please go and download the others and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be back very soon after hiatus with a new series and hopefully more guest stars. Yes. Uh, and um, yeah, more films, more TV, more content to discuss the historical content of. Uh, Jenna, where can people find you online? Well, I was going to say, hopefully over the hiatus, I'll be popping up in some random places. Uh, yes. So at the moment, I am working with a YouTuber called Kevin Logan to possibly come on his channel to discuss these similar sort of things about history, uh, because obviously it is a big discussion that's going on now. Um, I am working on trying to find some other podcasts that might have me, um, and I'm still writing for the Bonkazilla blog. As we said, you can find my cheese rolling article and other articles that i've written otherwise you can find me on twitter at nadesco kitty and uh i'm always nattering about random stuff or yeah mostly history or leftists i'm a very left lefty shouty historian on twitter (laughs) right and you can find me at 48 consultancy on instagram twitter facebook and and linkedin actually and you you can find me on linkedin too If you want to work with me, you can find it there. Um, talk to us at Real History on Twitter and Facebook. Um, if you liked what you heard, you know, like, subscribe, leave us a review, send us some suggestions, buy us a drink at coffee.com forward slash 48 publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much. And we will see you on another episode. Yeah, see you uh, technically in the next academic year, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Yes. Thank you, folks. Bye.